So if you have your Bible, I want to read a passage this morning, kind of a long passage out of um, 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 12 all the way down to verse 27 because I think it's relevant to uh, what God wants to get across this morning, talking about our spiritual state, okay? So 1 John uh, chapter 2, I'm going to start at verse 12. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of the Bible. You may have the NIV, the traditional King James. You may have the Good News Translation or the CEV or the Message or some other translation, but we'll get to the same place together because we have the same Holy Spirit. Amen. So 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 12, the Bible says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it, it has taught you, you will abide in him. First John chapter two, chapter, uh, first John chapter two, verses 12 through 27. John here now shifts from us getting to know John's Jesus, seeing Jesus through the eyes of John to a place where he's now uh, in, both encouraging us and warning us about the things of the world. He's telling us about the anointing that we have, and he's telling us that we're overcomers. On my honeymoon, my wife and I were on our honeymoon in Cozumel, Mexico, 
and we decided to take a ride down to the beach. Now, you could rent a Volkswagen Beetle, which I used to own a Volkswagen Beetle, believe it or not, a 1974 Super Beetle, Brother James, had a sunroof and everything. And uh, you could rent a, a Volkswagen Beetle or you could rent a little motorbike, a little moped. Well, of course, me, being a guy, convinced my wife to rent the moped. I mean, why would I rent a Volkswagen Beetle when there's a moped there, right? She said, I don't know about this. I said, oh, no, honey, don't worry about it. It'll be okay. We'll be in good shape. I said, you want to drive? She said, no, no, no. I have no desire to drive. So we got on the moped, drove down to the beach, and uh, had a good time at the beach, and, and we were uh, it's time to come back to the hotel on that particular day. I think this was either the first or second day, maybe, we were there. No, it was, it was we had a couple days left, yeah. It was on that Thursday, so we had a couple days left. So thank goodness, uh, as what you'll hear what I'm about to tell you, that uh, our, most of our vacation was already over. So I convinced her on the way back to, dri to drive. You know, she said I'd, she'd never driven a motorcycle or a moped, you know, anything other than a bike. But I convinced her, being uh, the wonderful husband that I am, you can do it, honey. You can do it. You can drive. You can do it. So she got on the front. I got on the back. And we were driving. And things were going well. But all of a sudden, if you've ever driven a, a motorcycle, rode on a motorcycle before, you know that um, really a motorcycle, the way you drive it and the way you turn is you more lean into turns as you turn. It's not like a car where you just turn, right? So we started to drift off the side of the road. And Dietra, not knowing how to uh, ride or drive a motorcycle, did what you would do in a car. And she turned. And so we ended up out on the middle of the highway, and, uh, you know, we, we had some, some terrible scars, some terrible burns. You know, I needed stitches. She's, she still has a mark here. And it was amazing because we were out on this two-lane highway. It was the highway that went around the island, but there just happened to be no cars there at this particular time. No cars were coming. And, uh, you know, so that, that was amazing. We didn't get run over by a car. And then all of a sudden a car did come, a husband and a wife. Uh, they were a little older. And uh, they rolled down our window as we're laying there on the ground and the mopeds laying on the ground and we're bleeding all over the place. He proceeded to roll down the window and say, are you guys all right? <laughs> no, we're not all right. We're laying in the middle of the highway that's going around Cozumel. Well, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to wait to see if he asks us, can he help us? But my wife, you know, she was in another place. She just went and got in the car, their car. And they said, oh, okay, well, I guess we're going to take you to the, the hospital. You know, so we got in the car, went to the hospital, and that was, uh, you know, we healed up after that, but that was our honeymoon. Years later, um, I was working, uh, and I went into my office and was talking to people. I had on a short sleeve shirt, and people saw the scars all up and down my arm and where I had stitches and what happened. So I told this whole story, and uh, it was amazing how interesting uh, it was of a story to people. You know, they, you know, I told a few people. And then the next day, somebody came and said, I heard this story about you, and, and they wanted to hear the story, so I had to tell the story all over again. And sooner or later, I become happy and proud telling this story about how I got these scars. And what the, one of the things that I found out is that we get scars in life, and what happens is the scars, we're ashamed of them at first, 
But as you go through life, you find out that scars many times happen for a reason, and we don't have to be ashamed of our scars because we're overcomers. In fact, it is our scars that make up part of who we are. Now, that doesn't mean you need to go out looking to get a scar. Don't go stand in front of the highway and say, maybe I'll get hit by a truck and that'll help me to be a better person. That's not what I'm telling you this morning. But what I'm telling you is all that you have gone through in your life up to this point, uh, you know, all of those things. And I'm not, I'm not even saying, oh, it happened for a reason. I'm not even saying that. But what I am telling you is it did happen. And you are here now. And there's nothing you can do about yesterday. What John is telling us in this passage of scripture is that you are an overcomer. You are empowered to overcome. You cannot be an overcomer unless there is something to overcome. But you are empowered to be an overcomer. Paul says you are more than conquerors. You cannot be more than a conqueror. You cannot be a conqueror, much less more than a conqueror, unless there is something to conquer. And so John is trying to tell us in these few verses in this passage that we should be encouraged because we're overcomers no matter what comes our way. We have to find Christians a balance between being people who are wise to the times and people who are like chicken little. There has to be a balance somewhere in there between being wise and recognizing what's going on and how ungodly things are happening in the world, as John is telling us. And the person who's saying the sky is falling and everything is over and I don't know what we're going to do and everything is hopeless because you're not hopeless. But that doesn't mean we don't need to be wise. See, what happens is, what I've found personally, is that we as people can tend to be extremists, can't we? You know, it's like all the way over here, and everything is terrible, everything is gloom and doom, and it's all over, and I don't know what we're going to do. Or you're all the way over here where your head is so far in the cloud that you don't recognize that there is a presence here that is ungodly and it's up to us because God said, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. So there is something that we have to do. We can't just sit back and let things go. It's up to us. We are the landlords. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden to tend it, not just to sit back and watch it grow because it would become overgrown. He put them there to tend the garden and he put us here to tend it. But he did not put us here to be doomsday people either. Because if God be for you, who can be against you? Is the earth not God's footstool? Is he still not the ruler of heaven and earth? Is Jesus still not at the right hand of the Father? Has he not overcome death and the grave? That's the God that we serve. But see, realizing that, you see how we keep going back and forth, realizing that we can't just say, oh God, you're so great. I'm just going to sit here and watch you do something because God is saying, I'm so great. I have given you my spirit. Do something. It's up to us to get up and do something. And John is telling us that we are empowered to overcome. 
And so this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to give you five words that John has given. So it doesn't matter anywhere, wherever you are in your journey, wherever you are in, in life, in your walk with Christ. Maybe you're a person who's new to church. Maybe you're tuning in online just because uh, you just wanted to see what it was all about. And you don't really know a whole lot about God or all you know is what you've heard from other people and songs that you've heard people sing. Maybe you're a person who's been walking with God for 50 years and you've seen everything. You've seen it all twice and three times and nothing surprises you. And maybe you've prayed and maybe you've made mistakes. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. Wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your journey, John has a word this morning for you to to encourage you that you are empowered to overcome. You are empowered to overcome. His first word was a word for mature believers. You know, these are the mature believers, the pillars, the leaders in the church, the longtime believers, mature both in years and faith. Just because you're mature in years doesn't mean you're mature in faith. Responsible, mature people who are respected, and they're looked up to. These are people who have grown in their faith from the beginning of the church. They've had a journey of spiritual experience. They've already encountered the devil and have had to overcome. In verse 13, he said, I write to you, fathers. Because, and I don't want to put words in John's mouth, but he could have said, I write to you, fathers and mothers. He's talking to mature believers because you have known him who is from the beginning. See, we don't want to be like those people Paul is talking to in Hebrews 5 when he says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That person is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Are you a, do you look at yourself as a mature believer? Mature believers understand that love of the world comes from the world, which passes away. Loving the world leads to death. The knowledge they have is deep. It's ongoing, spiritual. It's a relationship grounded in the historical death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not an intellectual speculation. It's a true picture of Jesus from experience and relationship. That's who we're talking about when we talk about the mature believer. Here's what you can gauge yourself against. I feel like I'm a mature believer. Okay, that's wonderful. Because a mature believer has mastered the art of being unselfish. Mastered it. The mature believer is faithful. The mature believer is spirit-filled and principalized. What do I mean by principalized? That means that uh, you, you have integrity and character. That means when no one is looking, you still have integrity and character. The mature believer is truthful and trustworthy. The mature believer is generous. And the generosity doesn't depend on someone else. Remember, Jesus said, he, basically, he said, treat others the way you want to be treated. Not treat others the way they treat you. Because that's how I interpreted that scripture for years. I didn't say it out of my mouth, but that's the way I acted. I treated people the way they treated me. 
But Jesus said, treat people the way you want to be treated. doesn't matter how they treat you. Now, I know that sounds harsh. And I'm not telling you that you're a placemat to be run over. Because God would not let that happen. He won't let it happen. If you speak faith and you speak his word. The mature believer perseveres. The mature believer doesn't give up even when you feel like giving up, even when everything is against you. I could stand here now and name you thing after thing in my life that has gone wrong. And so could you. We could, we could have a Misery Loves Company meeting. A little, we could have a little small group, Eldon, that's Misery Loves Company small group. You know, Carla, we're not having that. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we could do that. But the mature believer perseveres no matter what. No matter what comes their way, they still stand their ground because they're standing on the word of God. They recognize the fact that God is still on the throne and God doesn't need you to believe in him to be God. He only needs you to believe in him for you to be saved, not for him to be God. He's going to be God whether you believe him or not. So stop worrying about, don't, stop worrying about the world that doesn't believe in God. I'm saying be concerned that they would get saved, but stop worrying that they're a threat to you. Because God is God. He's God. He's God of the universe. He's the almighty God. I mean, if we were going to get right down to it, he doesn't need you or her, him, us, or we to be God. He only wanted relationship with us. That's why he created us. We're here for a relationship. So the mature believer understands this. That's why you can keep going no matter what. That's why it doesn't matter what comes your way. It doesn't even matter how you fail in life because come on, we fail sometimes. Even as mature believers, we fail sometimes. We fall sometimes. But you get back up and you keep going. You should be encouraged as a mature believer. What about the growing believer? He has a word for the growing believer. I would love to consider myself a mature believer, but I would also put myself in the category as a growing believer. Because he said, these are the people, maybe they're people of young age, yet not mature in their faith. Not only young in, in, in physical age, but maybe they're young in age in terms of coming to Christ. And they're not yet mature. They, they, they don't know all the ways that the wicked one comes. And they don't know all the ways that they'll need to overcome the wicked one and the world itself. John is writing to the spiritually young. He's saying, keep growing, stay alert, follow sound teaching. Don't just listen to anyone who's talking. And especially now, there's so much stuff on social media and on TV. Everybody has something to say. I'm not necessarily saying that there's anything wrong with it. Let them say it. See, it, it doesn't have anything to do with them. And you want to complain. Oh, everybody's on social media. Everybody's got something to say. They're always arguing on Facebook. People are putting all this stuff on Instagram. We're in this cancel culture and we got all this stuff to say. Guess what? Ain't nobody worried about them. What about you? What about you? I, I, I've said this before too. I love this, this old, it's an old movie now. Uh, called Catch Me If You Can. You remember that movie uh, about Frank Abagnale, 
All right. And he was that guy who, uh, you know, he pretended he was an airline pilot and all that. Well, anyway, uh, you know, he did all these counterfeit checks and he was able to do it. I mean, for, for a long period of time, he was able to counterfeit all of these checks. Well, they finally caught him and he spent some time in jail. Then he ended up being a consultant, true story, for the FBI. And I was intrigued by one of the things that he said when they asked him, how in the world are we supposed to know about all of these counterfeits? People are finding different ways to counterfeit and, and do different things and how can we keep up with all of this stuff and he said you don't have to keep up with all of that stuff it, it, you can't it's impossible to do all you have to do is know the true one 100% and anything that's not that is counterfeit you don't have to keep up with all the counterfeits so I'm telling you we don't have to worry about all of the counterfeits in the world John, John said something here that, that also intrigued me years ago when I read it because I was so much into this thing about how one day there's going to be this Antichrist and he's going to rise up and is it going to be a leader in Europe? Is it going to be a president of the United States? Is it going to be someone who rises up somewhere else when the Antichrist comes and then what will that be like in the 666 and you know all of these things and John blew me away. He didn't say that that wasn't true but it blew me away here when he said you know you're looking for the antichrist but guess what even in the world right now there are many antichrists antichrist and it's not so much anti-jesus as it's anti-christ anti-anointing it's anti-anointing of god the anti-holy spirit of god you can look around now and say yeah you're waiting for that one antichrist there's plenty of antichrists in the world right now just look around look at what we have to deal with look at our universities Look at what we have to deal with. Look at social media. Look at what's going on around the world. There's plenty of antichrists right now. And so what is John saying? He's saying, listen, don't listen to those false prophets, false teachers. Listen to sound teaching. Now, here's the secret. Here's what I want to give you. It's not a secret. Here's something that you need to know about listening to sound teaching. Well, how am I supposed to know? I mean, everybody's talking. How am I supposed to know if that person is true? How am I supposed to know if what that person over there is saying right? There's a lot of stuff that's coming at me. I go back to catch me if you can. Know what's real. That means you have to read your Bible. That means you have to have a relationship with your God. That means that you have to have a time of devotion and a time of prayer and not depend on everyone else. You can't depend on Pastor Mike because Pastor Mike might tell you that John the Beloved was Jesus' cousin. You need to be like the Bereans. You need to know it for yourself. That's what I'm here to encourage you to do. I mean, I want to be trustworthy. Don't get me wrong. I, I want you to be able to trust me as your pastor. Absolutely. But my, my main thing is to encourage you to know it for yourself. Because if you know it for yourself, we'll all be stronger. See, I depend on you. It's not you just don't see, oh, there's a pastor up there, like as if he doesn't need anybody. He just goes before God and floats around his office and the Holy Spirit. I need you as well, just like you need me. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. And so, listen, sound doctrine. You need to know it for yourself, young people. What's up, young people? You need to know it for yourself. The third thing is a, a word to encourage overcoming. Encourage overcoming. He says this to the whole group. John says, overcome, conquer the enemy. A past victory like those scars that you attained. A past victory that endures until the present. An active victory, a now victory, now faith. 
Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Now faith is the evidence of things not seen. Verse 14, he says, I've written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And look, you have overcome the wicked one. The message version puts that verse 14 like this. It says, you veterans know the one who started it all. And you, you newcomers, such vitality and strength. God's word is so steady in you. Your fellowship with God enables you to gain a victory over the evil one. You know what, you know what John is telling us here? He's saying, young people, don't despise older people. They, I know, you know, they're setting their ways in, in some things. And maybe they read the King James and you don't understand what upbraideth not means. I get all that. But, but, don't, but don't put them out to pasture just yet because they have something to teach you. And it's saying, older people, don't despise young people. Don't despise young people because they use the NIV or they, they sing songs that are a little bit different than the hymns that you sang growing up because they love the Lord and they have a heart for God and they need you. And guess what? You need them. This is what John is saying. Such vitality and strength. That's why we need to pour into the next generation. We need each other. It's all about relationship, folks. Overcome to face powerful foes, death, temptation, all of it, persecution, and carry off the victory over all enemies. You are empowered to do it no matter what. I don't care how bleak it is. I don't care how deep of a hole you have dug or the enemy's thrown you in. See, David says, I will praise you, God. I will praise you because you have reached down. I'm adding my emphasis to it. You have reached down into the pit into the miry clay and you have brought me up out of it and you have set my feet on solid ground and you have established my goings that's what God will do no matter how far down you think you are you are empowered to overcome you are empowered to overcome and number four a word of caution against loving the world now this one this one kind of threw me a little bit and I'll tell you why because as I read about the life of Jesus I understand that we are not supposed to love the world. But then I said, well, God, what does that mean? Because as I read about the life of Jesus, I see that he went to a Matthew party. What are you talking about, Brother Mike, a Matthew party? Well, I read where Jesus went over Matthew's house, who was a tax collector, come on before he was a disciple and an apostle. He went over his house and he invited a bunch of his tax collector uh, low-life friends, right? And they were all there talking and laughing and yucking it up. And Jesus was right there in the midst talking with them. Now, wait a minute. You just said, don't love the world, but here you are yucking it up with all these low-lifes. What's going on? You know what Jesus' response was? Hey, those who are well don't need a doctor. I didn't come for those who are well. I came for the sick. But here's what I noticed about Jesus. Jesus never changed who he was. In the midst of all of that, he was still the son of God. He still was filled with the Holy Spirit. He still spoke the truth. He's still in the midst of all of that. And see, that's where it is. That's why we have to be filled don't just say, hey, I'm going to go into a bar and witness to people and you haven't prayed and you haven't read your Bible because you're going to get your head bashed in. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how you're empowered to overcome. It's the word of God speaking the word of faith. That's how we overcome. 
And so he says, we, we can't love the world. Well, what does that mean? That means you turn your back on the world? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is do not allow. He's saying the same thing that Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed. That means don't let the world mold you and shape you into what they want you to be. Come on, church. You know, as we, as, 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 as we relate to people, as we relate to the next generation, you know, with lights and media and video and not wearing suits anymore like I did when I grew up and all of these things, don't let the world conform you into what the world wants you to be, but be transformed. That means from the inside out. Let God do a metamorphosis in you from the inside out. And then all the stuff on the outside, you'll be able to relate. Don't start from the outside relating and say, we'll change it this way. No, let God do a work in you from the inside. And then you'll be able to relate on the outside. Don't love, don't fall in love with the world. Don't be jealous of the world. And then lastly, he gives a word to encourage the anointing in your life. Can I just tell you something this morning? You are anointed. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking to you this morning. The anointing abides in you. It is the divine, you know, and the anointing used to confuse me because I'd listen to people sing a song and I'd hear all these runs and all these uh, high notes and I'd say, boy, that person sure is anointed. Why? Because they could sing a high note or they, they sound or it was emotional. Why are they anointed? You know, here's what the anointing is. It's really the purpose of God working in you through the Holy Spirit. That's what the anointing is. Two people could be doing the exact same thing preaching the exact same thing from the exact same text. One is anointed, one is not. One, God will say, get away from me for I never knew you. And one, God will say, welcome in. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you did what I told you to do. The other one said the same thing you did, but I didn't tell them to do that. It's the anointing, the anointing of God. And the anointing abides in us. It is the divine enablement given to us by God. It's a Holy Spirit overflow in us. Our problem is we make everything so spooky. But it's not spooky. It's not spooky. It's just God is the Spirit. And you, what I want to get you to do this morning is to believe the anointing is on you. You are anointed. And so I'm just not anointed because I'm a preacher. We're all anointed to perform a purpose that God put us here for. And the anointed, the anointing should not be bottled up in you. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the spirit. The anointing flows like a mighty river in you. The anointing as you have heard before, mature believers, destroys the yoke. Any yoke, as it says in Isaiah chapter 10. The anointing gives you a new garment of praise. So what are we saying this morning? I want to tell you this morning that Jesus desires to pour a fresh anointing upon you. Just like in 1 Samuel chapter 16, then Samuel took the horn of oil. Imagine that and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So is God doing even here this morning. He is pouring his anointing upon you. And that anointing will be on you from this day forward. Jesus desires to empower you with power anointing, a yoke-destroying anointing, a yoke-destroying anointing. 
He desires to empower you with that, the new yoke of Jesus. And he is here this morning offering salvation, restoration, healing, and encouragement to you.